This is The Ascending Life with Pastor Josh Blevins of Grace Calvary Chapel. Sin does not have to have a grasp on me. I let it have a grasp on me. And that's what a lot of people need to hear today. I'm not saying, don't hear me wrong, are there complexities to being wrapped up in sin? Yeah, when you're in it, it feels like, man, if I do this, uh, this is gonna happen. And if I try to do this, this is gonna happen. And what about this and what about that? It takes faith to trust God enough that if you do it His way, it's gonna be better. As a Christian, sin is absolutely the most difficult thing to wrestle with. We cannot avoid it, but we can do our best to turn away from it. Even at that though, we still struggle to make a change. In today's message, Pastor Josh is going to be explaining that turning from our sin is a critical part of running the race of Jesus. When we turn from our sin, we're saying that we trust that the life and race that God has for us is far better than the race of life that we're trying to run. Now, here's Pastor Josh in the book of Hebrews chapter 12. As he continues his message, Jesus offers the better race. In order to run this race effectively, we need to know our limitations. We need to know our limitations. Look at it as he continues. It says, therefore, because we're surrounded by such great a cloud of witnesses, let us take action. What's the action? Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. The command here to lay aside is frequent in Scripture, especially in the New Testament. It's the same exact word that Paul uses when he says to cast off the works of darkness or to put off the old man and all of its works and all of its lusts and all of its deeds. The word means a violent casting off or a violent throwing away. And here he says to lay aside two things, the weight and the sin that so easily entangles us. Now, he differentiates weight and sin because they are two different things, and he wants us to know that they are two different things. But here's what it tells me overall. I'll get into the specifics. But that one of the key elements to living the Christian life, listen carefully, is the willingness to get rid of stuff that is keeping you from God's best. That is a necessary element of the Christian life. The willingness to get rid of stuff that is keeping you from God's best. Notice he says weights and sin. When we look at the idea of a weight, what is a weight? Well, sin is obvious, right? We know what sin is. It's anything that is done in disobedience to God, correct? Right? It's it's morally wrong. It's ethically wrong. It's biblically wrong. We understand this. It's sin. Well, what is a weight? Here is the hard thing about weights. Weights are not necessarily bad things, but they're not necessarily the best things. They are things that are easier to excuse because it's like, well, it's not like I'm doing anything wrong. Yeah, but are you freed or without hindrance to run the race that God wants you to run without being tied up, without being hindered, without being wearied by things that God doesn't want you to carry? 
Most of the time, we get tired in following Jesus, not because the weight of Jesus is too much, but because we put too many weights on ourselves that Jesus has not asked us to carry. This is why Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What did he say? My yoke is easy and my burden is so heavy that it's going to smash you. No. It's light. You know what causes heaviness in life? It's when we become weighed down with unnecessary cares and anxieties and pursuits that keep us from experiencing the freedom and the joy of fully following Jesus without hindrance. When I swam competitively and started competing at higher and higher levels and going to finals and winning medals, I did something that when I was a freshman in high school and just started swimming, I swore I'd never do. I shaved my chest, my stomach, my legs, my feet, my arms, my armpits. Every visible piece of hair was gone. <laughs> That's silly. And not if you want to win a race, it's not silly. Because you begin to realize that hundreds of seconds count between the winner and the loser. And anything that, that causes drag, anything that causes a hindrance has to go. You have to modify your suit. You have to get the latest technology. You have to... And, and all people who play sports competitively who want to win understand this concept. You do things not to put extra hindrances on you. You might train with weight, but you're not going to look at the Olympic 100-meter final and see a guy there with ankle weights on. Back in the Roman times, please forgive the, the image, don't spend too much time trying to imagine it, but we all know that Greek runners and Roman runners ran naked. They got up to the line, the clothes went off. Why? Because the last thing you want is to be going around a corner and you get tripped up on your robe. The idea of running is anything that causes me to be hindered or an extra weight or a burden or to become weary has to go so I can focus on the task at hand, and that is winning the race. My same friend who got me running, Adam, I mean, I'm not saying any names over here, he also taught me about rucking. You guys know what rucking is? Maybe if you're in the military, you know. It's when you uh, do a fast-paced walk with, you know, a 50-pound backpack with weights in it on your back, you know, and you start off, right? And you're just like, I got this, no problem. And then a mile and a half in, you're like, it's starting to burn, <laughs> starting to, and you just, but, but here's what's fun. When you get back and you're done, you get that feeling, you take the backpack off and all of a sudden you're like, you feel like you're going to like take off. You're just like so light. Like, ah, I could just run and I could, why? Because when sometimes you don't realize how heavy a weight is until it's off your back. And many times we need to be those people who say, you know what, Lord, help me take an honest assessment of the weights I'm carrying that are burdening me, that are hindering me from the race that is before me. And here, notice this word. It's, it's a small word, but it's important. It says, let us lay aside how many weights? Every weight. Every weight. In other words, we don't get to pick and choose, and many of us are guilty of half-hearted surrender. That's what I call it, half-hearted surrender. 
I give God just enough to ease my conscience, but not enough to fully submit to his plan and will for my life. But every weight must go. Now, I hear some people, okay, Josh, now you're going to tell me what the weights are, right? Nope, because I don't know what your weights are. The Holy Spirit and you know what the weights are. What might be a weight for that person might not be a weight for that person. And what might be a weight for you might not be a weight for another. What you have to do, what this forces us to do is we take an honest assessment of how we're running our race. And, we, and then we see, oh, you know, I thought the Lord wanted me to do this, but, but that was the day I really wanted to do this. And all of a sudden, the tension starts to pull. And we feel that pull. And we feel that weight. We feel that extra burden. And it takes faith, doesn't it? To take a weight that you have become accustomed to and that you feel like is freedom and that you really like and cast it aside from you, trusting that what God has is better for you. That takes faith. And then he says, not only the weight, but the sin that so easily entangles Sin here refers to any moral failure that puts us outside of God's express will. These are the things that tempt us with the lust of the flesh and the lust of our eyes and the pride of life. But perhaps the most sobering word in this entire passage for me is this word, easily. Do you see that word there? Mark it in your Bible. The sin that so easily entangles or ensnares us. In other words, the author understands something about human beings. It doesn't take much for us to get messed up and tangled up in sin, does it? Sin is so deceitful and it's so patient and it's so alluring that if we are not completely on guard, fully dressed in the armor of God, walking in the truth, we can, before we know it, be tangled within sin. I was, I, was, I was mowing my yard yesterday, another pastime I love to do. I was mowing my yard yesterday, and I went in between a couple trees, and all, I mean, it took like split second. You know the spider webs that are like not the, the like, like stretching everywhere with like those big spiders in the middle of them? All, I mean, I'm all up in it. And what do I try to do? I'm trying to, you know, and every, every move I make, I'm getting more tangled up in the stupid spider web. But is this not exactly what happens to the person walking in disobedience to God? Every step further you take into it, a little more stuck you get in sin's web. Romans 6.16, Paul puts it like this. Do you not know that whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which you were delivered and have been set free from sin because, and you became slaves of righteousness." This is a powerful thought because he says when you put your faith in Christ, all of a sudden the power that raised Jesus from the dead of the Holy Spirit lives in you. And here's one of the greatest lies of the enemy to the Christian. Sin is so strong that you cannot get free from it. That is not true. 
That is unbiblical. Now, it is biblical to say, because I am a person who's in the flesh, I will continue to struggle with temptation. I will continue to struggle with sin. I'm being sanctified. I'm not going to be perfected. But sin does not have to have a grasp on me. I let it have a grasp on me. And that's what a lot of people need to hear today. I'm not saying, don't hear me wrong, are there complexities to being wrapped up in sin? Yeah, when you're in it, it feels like, man, if I do this, uh, this is going to happen. And if I try to do this, this is going to happen. And what about this? And what about that? It takes faith to trust God enough that if you do it his way, it's going to be better. I know we're not married yet. We're living together. And, you know, but it's complicated. There's kids and there's money and there's passing and there's this and that. And well, are, you, are you sleeping together? Oh, yeah. So you're saying you want to enjoy the benefits of the covenant of marriage under God's sight without making the commitment. That says you don't trust God, but you still want it your way. Do it God's way. You want joy in the marriage? You want to bring God's presence in the family? You want to find God's way of getting you to where you need to be? Then do it God's way. And I, I'm, I'm sorry, just bring up one example, right? This can apply to obviously any sorts of things that we tend to excuse when it comes to sin because we think we know better than God. Or ultimately, it's because we just want something more than we want God. I can't stop doing this thing. No, you want it more than you want God. Be honest with yourself. If someone was holding a gun to your head and said, you better not do that or I'm pulling the trigger, I think all of a sudden you'd probably find, I can stop. Comes down to a matter of our affections. We're battling, it's a sin is a battle of affections. It's the desire of our flesh versus the desire of our spirit. And here, Paul says, if you want joy in the run and freedom in the race, and you want to experience the fullness of everything God has for you this side of heaven, get rid of the weights, get rid of the sin. Or maybe I can just sum it up like this that anything that is bent on your destruction is not worth holding on to. It's not worth it. Let it go. I don't want to pound uh, this topic of sin, but I think I need to finish up with this thought. How does sin ultimately lie to us? Well, I think, number one, sin promises fulfillment and it leaves you empty. John 10, Jesus said, the thief only comes to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I've come to give you life. So the, the thief comes to take things out of you. Jesus comes to put things into you. But, but have you noticed that Satan, every time you're tempted, promises you that he is there to fill you, but he leaves you empty. Sin, number two, promises no consequences, but leaves you with devastation every single time. And this is a lie that permeates our culture. You can be who you want to be. You can do what you want to do. Whatever feels right to you, right? There's not even a, it's not even anymore today. It's not even like your truth, my truth. It's like, we don't want truth. We just want whatever feels good and whatever feels right. I have the right to be that and to do that. You're right, you do. And it's exactly what Satan wants you to believe. So when you do it and when you proclaim it and when you are it, you are left enslaved, broken, damaged. Mentally, spiritually, emotionally, and physically, that is sin's intent. Number four it is that sin promises you freedom, 
but leaves you enslaved. And it promises not to ever affect your relationship with God, but it leaves you relationally devastated. These are all the truths about sin. So next time that apple looks really good, just remember that the other side of that apple is death. But the other side of obedience is life. So we need to know our our limits to get rid of the things that hinder us in the race. Number three, we'll move through these last two points, is that we need to know our strength. We need to know our strength. He says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Underline that word endurance. It's the quality or the attribute of the way that we are to run. Anyone who's ever run a race knows that there is an inevitable moment that your body does what? Says, stop, you're killing me. We were not designed to do this. <laughs> Just knock it off. Right? Your body's telling you, this is it. This is, this is I've, I've reached the limit. Well, how do you press through a limit? It's called endurance. In fact, the word here, it means literally patient continuance. Isn't that everyone's favorite word, patience? You guys have heard it said, and I've said it before, right? Uh, be careful what you pray for. If you pray for patience, God will give it to you. I've got news for you. You don't have to pray for it. If you're following Jesus, it's a non-negotiable. <laughs> you have to get it any way possible. Patience is the way we endure through life. Patient continuance. A disappointment comes up, I press through it. An unexpected turn on the course, I move through it. I keep going beyond my limits. And of course, the race of faith is not a sprint, it's a marathon. You must continue running for Christ through the turns of trials, through the ditches of disappointment, and through the hills of hardships. And James told us this, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And here is the author's point, that inevitably, along your race of faith, there will come a point in time when you're tempted out of frustration, weariness, or discouragement to give up the races that God has set you on. If you're honest with me today, you would probably raise your hand and say, at some point, in a small way or great, I have felt like I think I just want to stop. I think it would be easier to sit down on the side of the track than to keep trying to press through. And yet the author here takes us back to what he said in chapter 10 when he emphasized, for you have need of endurance, that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. And so don't give up and don't give in when it comes to the things that God has placed before you. Second Timothy, Paul writes, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. In other words, to win our race, we must run God's way. And notice here he says, run with endurance, what? The race that is set before you. As Christians, we all have two, at least two races. Number one is the big, I call it the big R race. This is the race of faith. We are all on the same track. We're all running this race together. And what's the race? Stay faithful to Jesus Christ until I die. That's the race. When Paul's told Timothy, I have fought the good fight, 
I have finished the race. I have kept the what? The faith. That's the race he's talking about. I kept the faith. I finished the race of faith. That's the big race. But then there's a secondary race, and that is the individual races that God has given each one of us. You don't have the same race I have. I don't have the same calling you have. You might not have the exact same direction and course and path that I have, and I might not have the one that you have. We all have been given individual races to run. And this is what Paul meant when he spoke in Acts chapter 20. Listen, he says, none of these things move me, nor do I count my life as dear to myself that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. So Paul says, I want to finish the big race of faith and I want to run and finish my race with joy that God has given me a ministry and called me to do something specific in his kingdom. How would I apply this, well, friend? Four words. You have a race to run. Six words. You have a race. If you don't feel like you're running for a purpose of Jesus... You need to get off the bench and say, coach, throw me in. If you look at your life and you're like, my life doesn't really consist of any actions, any ministries, any movement towards the purposes of God's kingdom, you need to get your ministry from Jesus. Well, I don't think Jesus has a ministry for me. He does. God is not like the kind of coach where we were talking about this the other day. The kind of coach, it's like you have a whole team of players and then you have one like really tall kid on the basketball team and the coach is just like, just give it to Johnny. Just give the ball to Johnny. Johnny, just don't, just, just if you get the ball, just give it to Johnny. It's not what God's up to. God didn't say, I have a plan for Pastor Josh to make him a pastor, but not for so-and-so. They don't have very much to offer me. My friends, I've said this before, I'll say it again, none of us have anything to offer God. No degrees, no amount of intelligence, no clarity of speech, no charisma, no, none of us have anything to offer God that would make us more, should I say, more qualified to be used by him. What we do have to offer him is our obedience, our faith, our availability, and our willingness if you can say yes, well, I don't know what to do. This is what I always tell people when they tell me, I don't know what ministry to do. Start with what you know. Well, what do I know? The greatest among you shall be the servant of all. If you don't know what to do, here's a tip. Go start serving somebody else in the name of Jesus. You don't need to take a spiritual gift. I get to take my spiritual gift test. Got the gift of helps and... Oh, a gift of miracles, yeah. No, here's what you need to do. Stop taking spiritual gift tests and go start doing something. That requires spiritual gifts. And God will either say, eh, that's not, that's not quite your area. Or I'm going to empower you right now because you took a step of faith. And you didn't think you would want to do that. But all of a sudden, you wouldn't want to rather be doing anything else. Start to find the ministry that God has given you, the race that he has set before you and run that race with endurance to the finish line. 
Thanks for joining us for Pastor Josh's study in the book of Hebrews. Throughout this book, we learn about idol worship. This is when you place a person, people, or things in place of God. Although idol worship was prevalent during the time Hebrews was written, it's still in our world today. From TV to clothes to food to family, it's easy to put other things in place of God. We hope today's teaching has made you more aware of this and that you've been encouraged to seek God first. If you'd like more information about The Ascending Life or would like to hear other teachings from Pastor Josh, visit our website at theascendinglife.com. Once you're there, click on the Media tab and follow the link to our YouTube page. You can also subscribe to our podcast and have the latest message from The Ascending Life as soon as it's available. Feel free to download these messages and take them with you on the go. If you're on social media, find links on our website to our social media pages. We'd love to connect with you there. Like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram or Twitter to stay up to date with everything happening at The Ascending Life and Grace Calvary Chapel. Our website again is theascendinglife.com. If you're in or near the St. Joseph area, we'd be honored to have you join us at Grace Calvary Church for our weekly service. Find all the information you need at our website, theascendinglife.com. Well, that's it for now. But there's so much more to learn on the next edition of The Ascending Life. So be sure to tune in again. Sin